This evening we'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, although we will take a passing glance, look at 13 and 14 as well, as we look at Paul's prayer for the Colossians and for you. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask that you would help us this evening to read, to learn, to mark, and to inwardly digest your word. That in doing so, we will be changed. Lord, please bless our time together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What do you think of when someone speaks about praying for someone? Or when you contemplate praying for a friend or a family member? Prayer is an important part of the Christian life. It is something that we undertake daily But I think often we truncate the subject of our prayers. There is an old humorous quip that goes like this. That a Wednesday night prayer meeting is kind of like an organ recital. You pray for your aunt's lungs, your uncle's heart, someone's foot, different parts of the body. We become focused on health, and especially physical things. And these are important things to pray for. We ought to pray to the Lord to strengthen us in our health, to strengthen us in our finances and in our relationships. The problem is, is that oftentimes we don't go beyond there. We're satisfied to simply pray on that level or to ask others to pray for us just on that level. Paul here this evening is giving us guidance and instruction on what it means to be in prayer for each other. He offers up here at the beginning of this book, as he so often does, a prayer for that church that he is writing to, the church here at Colossae. But because Paul is writing Scripture, the Lord is having application of it beyond the immediate context. This is meant to be read by you and me. This is meant to be an encouragement to you and to me. 
Paul's prayer here is not limited to a group of people who lived in what is now Turkey centuries ago. It is Paul's pattern of prayer for the church, for the people of God. So what I would like us to see this evening here are three things briefly. First, we will look at Paul's request itself, what Paul asks of the Lord. And then secondly, Paul will explain for us the purpose of that request, why he is asking the Lord for these things. And then finally, God in His grace shows us the fulfillment of that request, what it looks like when that prayer is answered. So a request, the purpose of the request, and the fulfillment of the request. Let's begin then by looking and see what Paul is praying for. The first thing that we notice is when Paul offers up this prayer. Starting in verse 9, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge, etc., Paul tells us that prayer in his life, and specifically this kind of prayer, is a regular occurrence. You may recall last week when Dr. Medeiros was here, he was speaking to us from Matthew 28 about the Great Commission. And you remember he said there is only one main verb in that sentence. And the main verb is not go. The main verb is make disciples. And that as you make disciples, you are to go and to baptize. They are things that you do while you are doing the main thing. Here, it's the same way. This is kind of how Greek works. And as we look here, we may think that the main action that Paul is to take is to pray or to ask. But it's not. The main thing that Paul is saying here that he is doing and that we are to do is to not cease. The main action is not to stop. Don't give up ever. Keep going. Do not pause. And while you are not stopping, what you are to do is to pray and to ask. Those are a corollary. They are contemporaneous activities, but the main focus of what Paul is doing here is persevering on. He wants us to see that this kind of prayer is a regular occurrence. Now, this just fits in with what Paul had learned, and he is now passing on to us. Jesus said in Matthew 7 that we are to continue to ask, and it will be given to us. He gave us the parable in Luke 18 of the persistent widow. You remember that widow that kept going to the judge over and over and over again to get justice. And Jesus said, that is how you should go to your heavenly Father. Keep going to Him in prayer. He wants you to keep petitioning Him. Paul learned this. And he passed it on to the church here. And of course, Perhaps even more famously in 1 Thessalonians 5 where he commanded the church there to pray without ceasing. You see, prayer needs to be central to our life. Is prayer something that you simply make time for? Or is it a part of what you do throughout all of your day? You see, there is a sense, if I could be so bold, that 
A bad view of prayer is merely to block out 10 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes at some set time, and that's the only time you think of praying. You can pray with your eyes open. You can pray while driving. Then please have your eyes open. You can pray while you're showering, while you're cooking. You can pray while you're walking. If the Lord in His providence wakes you up from sleep at 2 a.m. as you are trying to drift back off to sleep, you can pray. You don't merely need to set aside time for praying. Because after all, isn't prayer talking to God? And isn't that something that we should do all the time? And and a, a related matter is we need to understand that we are to pray not just when things are in crisis. It's very easy to pray when things are bad and the trouble hits, right? When we're worried about lawsuits or cancer or difficulties. And we should pray, but we don't really even need prompting for that. But have you thought about praying when things are going well? Thanking the Lord for the obedience of your children. Thanking the Lord for His provision for you with all of the material things you have. A roof over your head, food on the table. Thanking the Lord that you are having a good semester at school, that you are prospering. Thanking the Lord for your spouse. And Paul is going to pray these sorts of prayers. These sorts of prayers that he is praying are not that the Colossians would be saved from the wrath of Satan or the attacks of the Romans. No, what he is praying for is very specific and very positive. He is praying and asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will, that is God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, Paul's prayer for this church is not that they would be bigger, not that they would be more powerful, not that they would be wealthier, not that they would have memorized more of their Bible. It is a deep spiritual prayer that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, This is something that's also difficult for us to get our arms around. You see, because when we want to advance, we think about things that we can do. How can we make our mercy ministry more effective? How can we expand our outreach? How can we teach or learn in a Bible study? But you see here, Paul starts not with what we can do, but what is done to us. You see, when we first think about having the knowledge of God's will, we think, well, if we want to know God's will, we must work. We must roll up our sleeves. We must get to work. But you see, there's a problem here. Paul says that he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, for you grammarians, this is the difference between an active verb and a passive verb. An active verb is something you do. You run. You hit. A passive verb is something that is done to you. You are hit. And here it is completely passive. Paul says, I'm praying for you that God would act on you, that He would fill you up with the knowledge of His will. Paul is praying to the Lord that the Lord would provide. And he wants the Colossians to know and understand that it is God who reveals His will to them. Who better to understand God's will from than God Himself? 
And so as we think about this, if you are right today struggling with doing, with how much you can do or what you need to do, now you need to be obedient to God's commands. But if you are struggling, you must begin with being, not with doing. You must begin with what God has done and is doing to you and for you. And that empowers you to act. And that's why Paul's prayer begins with God and what God has done for and to the Colossians. He also, in praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, is not giving them prehistory. You see... There is a temptation that we would know the will of God so that we would know what's in store for us. Will I get married? How many children will I have? Will we go through hard financial times? Will we move here? Will we go to this school? Will we do this? What will happen to me? What will happen to our church? And you see, our focus there can be on wanting to get information from God. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Another temptation is to want secret knowledge. This is very common in our day and age. We have Bible teachers who all of a sudden, somehow, for the first time in 2,000 years, discover something that no one else has ever discovered in the Bible. And we yearn for that. Because if that's true, then that means I know more than Luther. I know more than Calvin. I know more than Jonathan Edwards. I know more than all of my other pastors. I know more than all of my other friends. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about some kind of secret knowledge of God's will that empowers us. What Paul is talking about here is that they would know God Himself. That they would know who God is and what He has decreed. They would know His attributes. They would know His purpose. And that's found in His revealed will in the Bible. Paul wants them to know who God is. And he knows the only way they will is if God reveals Himself to them. And the way this is revealed is in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, real wisdom comes from God. There is a hierarchy of knowledge that has remained true for centuries. The very first basic level of knowledge is information. Facts. Things we can know. This is basic. There is a sense in which now you don't even need to be a person to have information. If you don't know something, you take out your phone or your tablet or your laptop and you ask Google. What is the capital of Arizona? There it is. When did Ivan the Terrible live? There it is. This is the basic level of knowledge. When we go from information, we move to understanding. Taking that information and using it in a practical way. And in this sense, Paul is talking about it in a spiritual way. Understanding the way the world is and the way the world works for our spiritual benefit. That requires hard work. 
It's not just memorizing facts. It's the difference between writing a paper by simply looking up facts and stringing sentences along and taking some cohesion out of it, a basic principle, and applying it. But even there, we're not done. We have information, we have understanding, but then we go to wisdom. Wisdom is applying that information and that understanding in a way that affects who we are and the way we view the world. The only place that true wisdom can be gotten is from God. You see, all other wisdom, Paul says, is just a mere show. He says in chapter 2, verse 23, that there is a foolish kind of wisdom. Something that has an appearance of it. It is vain philosophy. But you see, true wisdom begins with God. It begins with being known by God. Because you see, when we are known by God, then we begin to know God. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by Him. You see, to be known by God is to have His nature communicated to us so that we know who He is. This is what it means when Paul prays. Now, why does Paul pray that they would have this kind of spiritual wisdom and understanding? Does he want simply to have the Colossian church be the smartest church on the block? And I have to say, and challenge you and myself, a real temptation in the Reformed church is to want to know as much as possible about the Scriptures so that we can prove we are smarter than everyone else. We understand our theology better. We understand the Scriptures better. We can explain and teach them better. That is not the end. Knowing these things is a means. The real purpose, Paul says in verse 10, and it comes in a little word in your Bible that you should take note of every time you see it. So, if your question is, so what? Paul says, So that you can do it so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. The reason Paul prays this is first and foremost that they might have a worthy walk. You see, Paul knows that our knowledge is never divorced from our life. You see, this is in a very real sense... It's like a barometer for our relationship with God. It is a metaphor for the Christian life. Do you know what a barometer does? Many of you probably haven't even seen one now because now everything is electronic. It is something that looks like a thermometer, but is not. And the levels go up and down depending on the humidity. You can tell how humid it is. Now, there's really no use for a barometer in Houston. But go along with me here. And that is, it's a way in which you tell the way the world is around you. And here, walking is that same kind of thing. It's not about learning a Christian two-step. No, it's about living in a way that is pleasing to God. We walk according to what we know. 
and we know from studying the Word of God. At its basic level, that's why you should be reading your Bibles. Not just to learn who Hezekiah's son was, or who the fifth king of Judah was, or what order were the towns in which Jesus visited, but rather so that you would learn and know who God is, and that you would learn what He desires of you, and you would walk worthy after the calling with which He has called you. It's a costly calling. It costs the Son of God His life. So we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This kind of life cannot help but please God. That's why Paul says, if we walk in it worthy of the Lord, it will be fully pleasing to Him. So if you want to know how to please the Lord, if you want to show thanksgiving for what God has done for you, all you need to do is study the Word of God. And obey what He has left, left for you. Follow the teachings and the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will show that you are thankful. We're called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, but we are also called, you'll see, in the second half of verse 10, to bear fruit in every good work. Now, as the Gospel bears fruit... If you look up just a few verses in verse 6, Paul talks about the gospel bearing fruit in the whole world, just as evangelism bears fruit of souls throughout all the world, so the gospel bears fruit in our lives. We are changed. We are productive because of what God has done. As we understand who God is, as our spiritual understanding grows and our wisdom grows, our lives are more fruitful. It's like the principle of the sower of the seed, right? He goes and he sows on some area and it bears no fruit. And some it shoots up and dies. But what was sown on good soil, that bears fruit a hundredfold. Do you know what that soil is described as in Matthew 13, verse 23? The good soil is the one who hears the word and understands it. You see, spiritual understanding is so that we might bear fruit in our own lives. And that is because the gospel radically changes who we are. And I use that word intentionally. The word radical comes from a word that means at its root, at its core. And it changes everything about us in a very noticeable way. Have you ever seen, for example... This isn't as core of a change, but have you ever seen anyone that has radically changed their hair? Perhaps you know uh, a woman who went from very long hair to very short. Or let's even take it a step further. Have you ever seen someone that has dyed their hair some kind of shocking color? I don't mean like a light blonde. I mean like bright purple or bright pink. They look like a completely different person, don't they? It's a radical kind of change. That kind of change that occurs in us by God's work and the cultivation of wisdom and understanding is such that everyone around us should see a change. We should be different. And this is not just in one area. This is not just in your family. This is not just with your neighbors. 
This is not just at church. No, Paul says that we are to bear fruit in every good work. Every kind of good work. Every sort of good work. We cannot compartmentalize our lives. We cannot be good Christians at church and not in the office. We cannot be dedicated to the Scriptures in our homes and not with our friends. We must be changed in every good work. Well, we are to be walking a life, walking a walk that is worthy, living fruitful lives. And then the final thing here that Paul says is that we are to have lives marked by truth. We are to increase in the knowledge of the Lord. Now you see, Paul here refuses to pray for any action without it being grounded in the truth. Because he knows how a man thinks, or how a woman thinks, or how a child thinks, affects their actions. This is true of the Colossians. A bit down in verse 21, he says that they were once alienated and hostile in mind, and because of that, they did evil deeds. And then later on, he says that they were established in the faith, and that as a result, they abounded in virtue. You see, they had lives that were marked by truth. Well, Paul has prayed a mighty spiritual prayer for the Colossians. And he has told us why he is praying for this, what the purpose is, how he wants to see them changed. And the great thing about this passage is we don't have to wonder how it turned out. Do you see that here? In verse 12, he says that I am going to give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the Son of the saints in light. And He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says three things. First, it is fulfilled in that you are now thankful to God. The very first consequence of a changed life is thanksgiving to God. It is something that causes our hearts to sing with joy. Do you see this here? At the end of verse 11, it says that he is praying with all endurance and patience with joy. That phrase with joy could actually be taken with verse 12. That we are to give thanks with joy. We are to be so affected by the gospel that we are to be thankful to the Lord and that that gives us joy. The first result is thanksgiving to God. The second fulfillment here is that there is a corporate blessing that the Colossians and you partake of. God has qualified you to share in an inheritance with all of the saints in light. You are not in this by yourself. God has qualified you to be a part of His family. You have brothers and sisters around you to encourage you, to equip you. And finally, something that is perhaps dearest to our hearts and we'll look more at in a few weeks. After a thanksgiving, after a corporate blessing, we see a personal blessing that comes from this prayer in verses 13 and 14. The personal blessing is that we have been freed from darkness. 
We have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. We are renewed and reoriented. You see, this prayer that Paul prays for the Colossians and for you is a reorienting prayer. This is just the beginning of this letter. Paul is about to tell us of the glories of Jesus Christ and the glories of redemption and the glories of living together as God's people. And you see, this prayer is Paul saying, come over here, let me turn you around, let me point you at where you should be looking. Look at all the glorious things that God is doing. Is your life oriented in that way? Are you longing to see more and more about what Jesus is doing today in your life and the lives of those around you? If you long for more of that, be bold. Pray this prayer. Pray that you, your family, your church family and others around you would be strengthened, would have wisdom from the Lord, would be increasing in knowledge and understanding and be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. This is the kind of prayer that God desires that you pray. It's why He put it here in the first place for us. This is a prayer that will change lives. Let's pray.